You can be seated. You've done well with that. And kids have exited. And everybody knows their cues. That's great. <laughs> this is something uh, a little bit uh, different this morning. I recognize that um, we're not used to sitting with one passage multiple times. Um, I know I sent out, when I sent out the order of worship, I wanted to reassure everyone that it, we were actually reading the same passage three times, although uh, when I initially sent it out, I didn't actually have the th- same passage three times. So thanks, Cindy, for catching that. Because <laughs> um, it wouldn't have made too much sense to have another passage thrown in there. Um, for you, what was the hardest part of this this morning? Different versions. I'll, I'll say for, for, go ahead, Dave. Speaking, that word out loud. Speaking my word out loud, yeah. You're like, I've been told for how many years not to talk in the middle of church, and now the pastor is saying we're well, supposed to talk in the middle of church. Yeah. I'll say for me, and I, you know, I, I'm the one that puts the order together, and I asked our scripture readers for 30 seconds of silence. 30 seconds does not seem like a long time doing anything else, but being silent for 30 seconds seems like an eternity. And, you know, you, you didn't have that script in front of you, and so you're probably wondering, well, why isn't anybody else doing whatever comes next? Because we start to be... Very uncomfortable with that silence. Um, I'm going to ask uh, Josh to come up this morning. Josh is uh, visiting uh, with us. Josh is a friend of mine, and we were just talking before the service um, how long ago we met, and uh, we weren't sure about that. Um, uh, Josh and I initially got connected. Um, the previous church that I served, we were looking for um, some ways to uh, reach out to some communities around the world that were uh, dealing with water security issues, food security issues. And um, our pastor, uh, Jim Wren, uh, connected us with his nephew, Josh, uh, who was invested in doing those kinds of things. And so, um, Josh and I have gotten to know each other a little bit over the I don't, 10 years or so uh, that we, yeah, yeah. Um, and so he's visiting in town, and we're going to kind of process through some of this, um, this passage, and he's going to be highlighting some things that uh, I sent him, some, some questions and some thoughts in advance, so he's not, you know, just off the cuff completely, um, and just sharing with you. And I think that this is uh, an opportunity for us to kind of demonstrate how you can kind of sit with a passage um, and, and hear what God is speaking to you in a particular moment in your context. Um, a lot of what I do um, when I give a sermon is break down the, the historical context and the authorship and, and what God was saying to those people in their day, in their time, and look at the ways that it can apply to our life. And, and, and I think that's a really important way of coming to Scripture. But we also need to hear God's Word and, and how God is speaking to us 
in, in a given moment in the middle of our context as well. And so I think this psalm kind of lends itself uh, to some of that. So uh, just getting started, let me ask you all, how do you feel hearing these words of Psalm 84? Pastor's asking you to talk in the middle of the worship service again. Uplifted. Encouraged. Hopeful. Comfort. Yeah. What pictures come to mind when you hear, how lovely is your dwelling place? Say that again. Hope. Okay. Hope for like seeing God's dwelling place or being in God's dwelling place? Yeah, all right. Something that's serene. Something that's serene. All right. Grand and stunning. A peaceful place. Okay, fall splendor. Majestic. Okay. It's interesting uh, what, uh, just let me comment here for, for a moment. Um, there's, a, there's a preface to this psalm, um, and it says, according to the gittith, which uh, is an unexplained uh, musical term, we think, so we're not sure what that means. Um, of the Korites, it's from the son of Korah, a Levitical priest whose descendants were temple singers. And within the context, and again, I don't want to get down in, into the uh, nuts and bolts of this, um, but the singer would have been talking about the temple of God, the physical temple of God. But I know when I read this passage, that's not the first image that comes to mind. I, I would uh, echo some of the things that you all mentioned. Uh, a serene place, fall splendor, you know, majestic places. Um, but for the original singers, they would have had a certain place, a physical location um, in mind when, when they heard this. Um, Josh, uh, you've been in different places. You've been in Uganda and Africa and some other places. Uh, where does God dwell for you? Let me, let me make sure it's on. I'll hand that over to you. He, it's yellow, Mike. Yeah, when I was asked by Adam to kind of come up here and dialogue with them a little bit about this passage. I was like, all right, this will be fun. <clears throat> of course, I was in a, a, getting a, a nail taken out of the tire of my car at the time when we were talking about this. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> um, but I was like, yeah, let's, let's do this. Let's have a dialogue. Let's, let's talk about this. Let's, let's see what we can come to a resolve on or at least questions. Because mm -hmm. this is, uh, I, I asked you, are you familiar with Lectio Divina? And you're like, not no, sure. Not have you ever sure. done something like this? I have not. All so right. This is the first time I've done that. All right. All right. So this is fun. <laughs> um, but 
However, uh, you know, some of my background too is I've had a lot of Bible training as well. And so being able to sit and read through a passage three times is part of the inductive study of, of actually learning how to read the Bible. And so, you know, having this read three times, I'm like, I'm familiar with that, just not that term. Mm -hmm. And, but thinking about like the dwelling place of God and looking at that, I mean, Adam's spot on as far as, yeah, we're looking, they're looking at a physical location that this, this tall, this temple that had been built by Solomon on Zion and this place that people were uh, journeying to and longing to be in the presence of. And then you start, so for me, I'm start think, starting to think about that dwelling place and why these people are wanting to go to this, this location. And it's because it's where the presence of God is and they want to be in the presence of God. And so I started thinking about that even further. I was like, all right, well, we're not going to Solomon's temple today. <laughs> what, so what does that look like for us then? And what does that, how do we contribute or uh, uh, kind of look at how does this work in our own context and within our own life? Because then, you know, you start looking at Jesus and you know, the anxiety passage, and he does talk about the temple that Solomon has built and that, you know, the birds of the air, again, birds are identified in, in Psalm 84, uh, of how they have this place that even God takes care of them. And even in this psalm, it's a place where the, the, the writer is actually highlighting, man, I wish I could even be like the birds to be in the presence of God in this moment. And then, you know, thinking about that passage, and then Jesus kind of debunks the idea of, like, the beauty of this, this, this temple and this dwelling place and how, all right, what do we do? Do, is that really where the beauty is? And he, he changes it and, and directs it back to human beings and the people. And then, of course, then I go to Genesis, right? And, and the creation uh, narrative. And then looking at the garden and how this was supposed to be a dwelling place for God's people to be able to sit and walk and talk and learn with God. Similar to what the temple was supposed to be with Solomon. is supposed to be this educational hub to be able to learn about who God is and the presence of, in the presence of God. But then the Garden of Eden was supposed to be that for human beings, where, where you have this beautiful creation that God has made, not that human hands have made, but what God has made. And so now, like, even going to your question directly now about even places I've gone and, and, and have witnessed where I've seen God dwell. And I, I mean, I've been in places where we worship uh, did a church service under a tree, under a, under a mango tree. And it was just you know, a beautiful thing of being in creation that God's created and be able to find the presence of God in that moment. And, and you know, for the people of the uh, Judeite, Judeites at that moment were looking for a singular location that they believe God dwelt. But then we can say, no, God dwells here. He dwells 10,000 miles away in East Africa under a mango tree. He dwells 15,000 miles away in Southeast Asia uh, underneath a banana tree somewhere. And it, it, it's this place where the, it then expands and opens up to this idea of, no, God is with us and dwells with us. And, and how do we even get to a place where we can read this psalm and, and even experience what they are longing for, this longing to desire for being in the presence of God. But now what does that look like for us now on the other side of the cross? Mm. 
Yeah, that, um, for me, you know, I got to, we're kind of springing this on you all as far as like what word is jumping out. I got to sit with the, the psalm particularly all, all this week. And for me, that phrase that you just mentioned that, that was connecting with me was um, the, the sentence, my soul longs, indeed it faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh sing for joy to the living God. Um, and what it's like to have your soul longing for the presence of God. Uh, and like I said, this has been my, my phrase all week, not just longing to be in a place. I love coming to worship in this place. It's a, it's a beautiful place. But really about being in the presence of God and just longing, feeling like you're going to faint, your body's gonna give out if you don't get into the presence of God soon. Have you ever felt that way? Um, it, I know there's times in my own life where I, I feel that way. And the, uh, the other night, I, you know, um, I don't, does this happen to you where you wake up in the middle of the night and then thoughts just kind of keep you up forever? Never. Yeah, that yeah. It never happens. Um, <laughs> for, for me, connected to the, this, uh, this idea of longing and fainting um, for, to, to be in God's presence was uh, also out of Revelation 2. John is writing to the church in Ephesus, and he says, I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance. And then he says, I also know that you are enduring patiently and bearing up for the sake of my name, and that you have not grown weary. But I have this against you. You have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember then from what you have fallen. Repent and do the works you did at first. Um... Just this idea that sometimes we get so caught up in trying to do so many different things, and they might be really good things, but we've kind of left behind what our, our first love is. And, and for, in my own life, um, needing to return to that first love and longing and, and feeling faint when I'm not pursuing my first love, Jesus, when it becomes about you know trying to navigate all kinds of different issues and different things rather than just focusing on Jesus, my Christ, my Savior, my King, and, and pursuing Him first. Paul kind of echoes some of those thoughts in 1 Corinthians 2 when he says, when I came to you, he's talking uh, to the Corinthians, when I came to you, brothers and sisters, I did not proclaiming, come proclaiming the mystery of God to you in lofty words or wisdom, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I focused on the singular thing when I came to you. I focused on my first love. And for me, uh, these thoughts and ideas have all been tied to feeling faint and longing for God's presence. Uh, there's been a lot to navigate in life in the last couple of years. I know that's been true for me. Uh, Getting to talk with you, uh, I know that's been true for you. You've had some um, transition things that have happened uh, in, in your own life. Uh, I don't know if you want to share any, you know, kind of where you're at and what you're doing right now in, in uh, your life, in your ministry, um, and, and how you're connecting um, still with um, how God's trying to, to bless people in different places and uh, bring living water in, in different ways. Yeah. Um, do you want to jump to the, that passage? Sure. Valley? 
yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, la- later, where he's talking about later when it talks about being in the 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 valley, Baca um, is 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 like weeping, lamenting. Uh, one of the translations that we used and it substituted that meaning for uh, the literal word there. But it's a it's kind of similar to this idea of walking through the valley of the shadow of death. Um, so it's walking through this valley of weeping. Yeah, go go for it. Is that all right? Yeah. I don't want to... No, 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 here. no, okay. this is good. <laughs> um, so yeah, even like contemplating the idea of the Valley of Baca, and uh, I'm just going to read it again. As they go through the Valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. So for me, what's, what's repeated there is the they. And, and it's the people that are walking through the, this Valley of Baca, but it's, it's the people that actually allow this spring to, to occur, this, this new life to occur in this valley. And so, you know, for me, and Adam asked me a direct question in regards to, you know, well, whether or not I want to share much on uh, what transitions I, I've gone through or what, what things I'm, we're working on right now. But um, yeah, I, I mean, this past year or past few years with the whole COVID thing, there, I think everyone's experienced a level of, of challenge and everyone's experienced a level of transition. You know, whether it's work-related, family-related, church-related, there's multiple facets that people have had to deal with this struggle associated with do, please forgive me if I bring this up and it's it's a a trigger word, I hope it's not too much of a trigger word, but do I wear a mask in church or do I not wear a mask in church? And, And unfortunately, people have split over that idea. And, and it's like, why? Why does that happen? What, what, is, it, is it really about the relationship with one another and the care for one another? Or is it more about a, a personal belief and, and that's connected to a level of fear? And, and so like, that is an idea that, that we have to contemplate with and we have been forced to contemplate with as the people of God who are trying to find God and seek him, even in his dwelling place that we have you know, con- constructed with our hands, but also going on beyond that as far as how do we inter- interact with each other on a real level to be able to see health amongst each other, even outside the four walls. And so even doing international work and traveling, all that got shut down for us. And so we weren't able to travel abroad. We weren't able to go and do some of the work that we were hoping to do. Thankfully, technology has been very helpful on this side of things as far as being able to figure out how to do Zoom calls or video conferencing. You know, that's gone to a next level that no one has anticipated. But it was there, and we got it there, and we we made things happen. Can I ask you, what's that like uh, doing with people in East Africa? Like video trying call? to get them on a Zoom call. Because, you know, like not all of us were familiar with Zoom uh, at the beginning of the pandemic. Yeah. And, you know, some of us made that transition real e- easy. And some of us um, haven't made that transition super right. uh, easily. Uh, so what's that been like trying to communicate with folks in, in Africa uh, so, over Zoom? You know, in the United States, we're very time-oriented people. So mm. we're like, hey... 11 a.m., we're having a Zoom call. Let's jump on. Of course, you're figuring out time zones, too. But everyone's pretty much on at 11 a.m., and you're having a meeting. You, you go to an East African culture that is event-oriented, not time-oriented. <laughs> and 
you're logging in, you're like, all right, I'm here, it's 11 o'clock, and then you're trying to send messages, hey, where are you guys at? 20 minutes have passed, are you guys, oh, we're coming. <laughs> we're coming, we'll be there. 30 minutes have passed, I'm still here, I'm waiting for you. <laughs> and, and so trying to navigate that whole world as far as time and event orientedness, just due to differences in culture has been kind of a fun little thing to work through. And, uh, and I, I guess on one hand, I think because the world in general has had to be confronted with that type of technology and trying to figure out how to connect on that level, um, it, it has actually increased the level of time orientation even amongst those who are more event orientated. So, I mean, the last Zoom meeting I had, I think it was a week and a half ago, um, they were only five minutes late. I was like, that's a huge improvement. <laughs> that's a great improvement. And we only had to send three messages instead of 50 <laughs> messages to try to figure out where everyone was at. Um, but yeah, so that, that, that was a struggle in regards to trying to figure out how to communicate with each other on that level. But uh, even going further into uh, the efforts that we're trying to work towards, like, you know, spring of water, or water and, and walking through uh, the Valley of Baca and the idea that the presence of human beings are, who are actually seeking God uh, actually bring life to this valley. And, and then, you know, rains then are also associated with it as the after, afterthought within this passage. And, and how the people have become this element that, that God is using to bring life into those places that don't have life. Mm. Or life has been taken from them. Whether intentionally taken from them or indirectly taken from them. And what I mean by that is, is uh, if you go into some of these regions and these resources that are available to them oftentimes become something that outsiders want to take and use for them, themselves. So uh, give an example, uh, colonialism by the Europeans was a major element that went into developing countries to be able to take resources to be able to bring back home to be able to use for themselves. That still happens today. So for, for example, um, I'm going to use Uganda as an example. China, they've come in and they are very heavily present in the country of Uganda. And what are they doing? They're building infrastructure, so, which is also helping the people. But at the same time, you're like, there's a, also an alternative agenda that's happening here. And so they're building infrastructure as far as like hydro dams to be able to create electricity within the, within the country, or railway to, to be able to allow for goods to be transported to the ports to then that be taken to their country or roads being put in that allow again for that transport to occur but is it for the people or is it for the extraction of the resources to be able to go to said country and so that still is something that is real and, and existing today and but it, also trying to understand how to then work with the people to be able to say no this is our place this is what God's given us, and this is where we dwell, and God is with us. Now, how do we be able to work in such a way that we can actually produce life within our own country? And so a lot of the work that we're even working towards is water-related, and, and when we talk about water-related activities, it's like, how do we empower the communities? How do we empower the people to be able to maintain 
these water sources that are put in, but not only maintain them, but develop them in such a way that it becomes a blessing to them. So, for example, there was a, uh, I think I shared this with you, I don't remember, but in June, we went to a community uh, in south, southern Uganda near the Tanzanian border, and um, there was this entity from Canada that put in a 400-foot well, you know, to get this community water, because they were getting water from ponds, and put in an elevated water tank, and they then put some taps in for the community. And you're thinking, this is a great thing. This is a blessing to these people. However, when they installed it in 2019, um, the people stopped using it within that year of it being, or being installed. And you're like, well, why? And they go back to these ponds to collect water to be able to bring back home. And, and so this infrastructure, meant to be a blessing, has, has then become a curse to this community. How did they become a curse? Well, they started telling me how when they take a bath in it, their, their skin starts to itch. When they cook with it, their beans turn black. When they irrigate with the water, it kills their crops. And, and you know, in that region, you know, food scarcity is a very real thing. And so when they lose a crop due to, because they thought they're irrigating and be able to help produce a crop, it actually is killing the crop. That just exacerbates the idea, the whole entity in, of, of food scarcity. And so, you know, we're trying to figure out what's going on, what's happening. And, you know, we did some water testing and what do we find out? The water's acid has a pH of 2.4. And it, those who are familiar with pHs, you want it at a neutral level, somewhere between six and a half and upper level would be about eight uh, for safe drinking water. And, but they have acid for water. And, but no one knew that. Even the entity that put it in, it was supposed to be a blessing for them. And they never followed up to find out, is this working or is it not working? And so, and then it brings it back to even this passage, if I can relate it to it, of this idea of walking through the Valley of Baca, this weeping, this place of weeping, where you know, there, was, there was hope that was put out there for this community, and then that hope was taken from them when it started to actually adversely affect their entire community. And now it's like, what hope can be reinstilled uh, and particularly what hope can be instilled in the people that actually helps them see that God still sees them and God wants to respond to them. And there's this guy in this community who is just full of faith and he's doing everything he can to try to make something happen in their community to bring change. And I will attribute that the work that's now being done in that community to help resolve this issue is directly related to this guy's faith and desire to want to see something new happen in their community. And his longing for, for God's presence to be with them, for God to be near them, that they can testify to how God is moving in their lives because this impetus for what God is doing and, the, the what, and going back to this, that dwelling place of him finding God in their moment and in their place. So that's, yeah. there's a little something for you. Um, if people want to find out more about like what you're doing, uh, what you're involved in, where could they find out more information? Sure. I actually have some brochures on the back uh, table going out here if you guys want to find out what more we're doing. Our organization is called the Ion Project. Uh, Ion, what is that? Well, it's a Hebrew word or a Hebrew letter that means spring of water and actually means God watching over as well. And so uh, the acronym is TAP. 
and I have some business cards back there and uh, brochures that you can grab on your way out if you want to know more information. Give, give me the like the 30 second. What, what do you do? What do we do? Yeah. All right. Well, our tagline on everything is implementing sustainable solutions. <laughs> and our emphasis is uh, water accessibility uh, for all and clean water accessibility for all particularly. And so um, with that, if I can highlight even a contrast here. So Uganda, Rwanda, you know, 12 to 14 percent of people have access to safely managed water systems. We're in the United States and in, in the UK, 98 percent to 99 percent of people have access to safely managed water resources. So you see the discrepancy there. And so our effort is trying to flip that discrepancy and trying to go into communities and say, what do we gotta to do to create safely managed water systems that will actually serve these communities? Mm -hmm. Yeah. All right, we're gonna kind of wrap up our conversation here uh, this morning. I hope that this morning has been uh, one in which you may have engaged in a new or different way with scripture. And I hope this is something that you can take back home uh, and, and in your own life, read through a passage and just sit with a, a shorter passage multiple times, thinking about what God is, is speaking to you in, in those moments. Uh, Lectio Divina that we've done this morning can connect us to something about God's word that we might not think about. Scripture is, is first God's word to them, to the people that, that wrote and the people that experienced it, uh, to the original writer in the audience, in their time, in their language. But what we find is that it has something to say to us in our time and our way too. And so this practice that we've done this morning, uh, we might open ourselves up to God and, uh, to use these ancient words of Scripture uh, to speak to us, to speak something fresh into our lives. And so what, what words came to mind, what phrases uh, it provoked in you, and, and what you feel like God is prompting you uh, to take up, to let go, to, to act upon. I hope you take those home with you, that you meditate on them uh, a little bit more, and that you put them into practice. And, and maybe our conversation this morning gives you some way of, of thinking about how the Scripture engages our everyday life and how it moves and prompts and um, directs us in our lives. I'm going to invite you uh, to stand uh, as we bring our worship to a close, and we're going to sing As the Deer. Um, so it's in your brown hymnals. I don't have the number on me. 548, thank you. Uh, so would you stand as we close? <laughs>